your girdle on, Greta. It's time for a new episode of the Haunted Heart Podcast. Wow, that energy. Energy. Uh. I have it here for you, top of show. That energy. I'm awake. I am awake. Did you snort a lot of coke over there on the other side of that table or something? Nah, girl. You know I don't fuck with them drugs. I am drugs. I don't need drugs. That is... Salvador Dali said that. That is very... Well, wasn't he also on drugs? (laughs) <laughs> Probably. I believe he was, girl. Was, I mean, I feel like he snorted a bowl of cocaine and then, like, stood up, fixed his uh, hair, which was disheveled, put a hand on his chest and looked right over that shoulder and said, I don't do drugs. I am drugs. Drugs. I feel like he was, uh, something tells me that he was into opiates. I think it might have yeah, been opiates. Yeah, I feel like maybe. Um, but yeah, hi guys, welcome. <laughs> I mean, that was uh, that was drug corner. <laughs> you can skip that out of the way up top. Welcome to our dare corner. We dare you to do drugs. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. <laughs> the school. Do you remember the episode we did where we talked about the crazy guy who uh, who um, always fucked with his students? I uh, oh, talked about yeah. his mom. Who, who talked about their moms? Yeah. yeah, doing his mom, doing the kid's mom yeah. in the back seat. Yeah, that's the school he teaches at. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> I dare you to do drugs. God bless. He probably was the fucking dare officer too. <laughs> he was probably sitting there like that school. Yeah, that I snorted a line off your mom's back once. <laughs> that was in Scotland, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was. You know? Wow. He just worked through a lot. We're off to an excellent start this episode, but I'm going to tell you what. It's great because the topic that we're going to get into later on is it's dark. It is heavy. So you better get your laughs now, baby. You better get them yucks in. It's about to get her fucked up. (laughs) Like, for sure. (laughs) Yuck. Fucked up. You gotta get your yuck now, cause it's about to get you fucked. It's gonna be serious, folks, and that's rare. We're in rare form uh, on this podcast. It's true. So, how was your week? My week? I don't remember my week. No. It was must have been the drugs. <laughs> um, no, my week was fine. Um, nothing major happened. Um, I think I, you know, I think I did some meditation. Mm-hmm. Uh, read some, did some uh, reading of my tarot cards for a little bit. Okay. Um, and you know, just starting to try to reconnect to myself, starting a, a healing process. From what I don't know, but I just feel like there needs okay. to be some healing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what I about you? Uh, I had a crazy ass week. A lot happened. A lot going down. Um, exciting things. Um, but. I also, one of the uh, dark points of my week, I filled out a very important uh, professional uh, professional setting form uh, on which I said that I graduated magna cum laude. Uh, and of course, Wait, that's not if right, you'll notice, it? it's supposed to be magnum cum laude. So I instead just put a woman's name. Wait, so that you said happened. what? You said madam? So the, like, uh, it's a Latin honor, I understand. It's it's difficult for us here. We don't usually talk about Latin graduation honors on this show, but, um... <laughs> so graduation honors, uh... Latin honors are... It's cum laude, magnum cum laude, and summa cum laude. 
And for my graduate degree, well, I Well, honey, I'm going to tell you what. I cum laude. <laughs> Me too, boo. I cum laude, bitch. Yeah, she, cum, she cum real laude. Um, so <laughs> what happened, uh, I graduated with my MBA, summa cum laude. Uh, but with my undergrad degree, uh, I put, I should have put magnum cum laude. And instead, I put magna cum laude. Magna. And Magna's a woman's name. Magna, so, okay. So I wrote on a professional document that Magna comes loudy. <laughs> and uh, so that was probably the low point of the week. Magna comes uh, loudy. For me. At some point, there's a Magna somewhere. Sorry, Magna. Um, I apologize yeah. to you. But no, you know what? You don't. come loudy all you fucking want because we're recording this on international women's day so happy international women's day belated Mm -hmm. to all of you fabulous international women all you witch bitches i love you oh totally happy day go home and and peg your husband (laughs) (laughs) um we've uh got some women that we're going to talk about here we do we have a lovely group of women yes to discuss yes so we have not one not two. But we have Trace Amigos three. up in this bitch tonight. Three witches. We do. To invoke on this podcast on this evening on International Women's Day. I love it. I'm here for it. I love it. Would you like to go first? Ladies yes. first, of course. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> ladies first. Ladies first. <laughs> yes, I do believe I So will. we have our three candles. We have a lovely orange candle we have a lovely blue candle we have a lovely green candle and they have been dressed with good intentions for your health wealth and happiness baby we want you to get whatever it is your heart desires we want you to cum laude we do we want you to cum laude we want you to get that good good and we will uh light your candle and say your name and invoke all of that positive energy Hopefully to come right up into your life, baby. Yes. And kiss you right on the cheek. Mm-hmm. All right. So for the first one, we are going to do Sharon M., who is a member of our Haunted Heart Harem. Yes. Welcome to the family, Sharon. And the next one is for Montana, who is also a member of the same Haunted Heart harem. I love it. It's one name like Prince. Mm-hmm. What was that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fetching. That was so weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I believe the honor is yours. Yes. So I... We'll be lighting my candle tonight for Stephanie C. And this was actually really cute because her boyfriend signed her up as a surprise. Isn't it? it, Keepers. I mean, bless you. Her boyfriend, John, signed her up. And John said, make sure you shout out Stephanie. It was was really cute. He sent a message and he was like, "Uh, yeah, I signed up. But my girlfriend is actually the fan of the show. (laughs) It was really important for him to let us know that, like, Stephanie's really the fan. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of like uh, when, oh, I forget, 
uh, I forget which uh, person. It was like a, a singer or a comedian or something was like doing this bit on um, like when I think it's like when I forget who it was. It might have been Steve Martin was doing a bit on when like girlfriends and their boyfriends like come backstage to like meet performers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the boyfriends are always like, it's really my girlfriend who's a fan, but or like <laughs> they just have to let you know yeah. that they don't give a fuck about you. And I respect that. Yeah, I do too. Deep in my soul. So, John, you a real one yeah. for signing our girl Stephanie C up to support the show, and we love you. Yes. Both Thumpians. So your candles are lit. What is what she and she is a member of our candle oh, cult. Girl, I done fucked it up. You done it up. fucked it up, girl. I did. Uh, Stephanie's a member of our cannibal cult, Montana, and Sharon M are members of our haunted heart Han- harem. Harem? I had a moment. Uh, Hanum. Hanum. We have our lovely three ladies here who are going to burn brightly through the end of the episode, but always and forever. In our dark, dark, dark hearts. Dark hearts. And honey, when I tell you we gonna need the lights of these three little yeah. candles with well, this dark topic we talking about tonight. But again, before we get into that, <laughs> don't you have... Um, we got uh, something sent to us in our email. Oh, we did. We got an email. We got one email. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You look at our inbox and it's literally just like one thing. That's right. I almost forgot. Oh, my word. One email. And so infrequently. All right. So we got mail. Finally. (laughs) Finally. You fuck ups. So uh, we do have a listener email that we did want to read on the air. It's in response to our Black Widows episode that we did last week. Um, And... We wanted to uh, read it for you guys. So this is from Katie, and it's not from me. I didn't send this email to our inbox. <laughs> it's really honestly but not bitch, from I'm me. I'm going to tell you what. Don't put it past us, though. <laughs> yeah. No, I would tell you if I wrote this fucking email myself. Um, I wouldn't sit down and type this shit out. So, okay. So I'm just going to read it. So Katie says, Hey. Hey. So this is the story of how my grandfather married a black widow. It starts June 21st, 2000, when my grandmother passed away. Funeral was held on June 24th, and on June 30th, my grandpa is at the local Dollar General, or as my people would say, the Dollar General. Dollar General. And sees this lady standing at the bus stop. He goes and talks to her, and the Lord tells him to give her a ride home. (laughs) So, of course, he listens, because, you know... The Lord. The Lord. She didn't say which Lord. Uh, The following Sunday, we go visit Gramps, and he tells us about his brand new girlfriend. She was my mom's age, 40 at the time, and my grandfather was 70-ish. So, of course, my mom, aunt, and uncle flip the fuck out on him. That's probably a suitable response. You know what I mean? I mean, love takes all different shapes and forms, but baby, you getting played. So flash forward to August of 2000. While my mom is in the hospital recovering from cancer, my grandfather comes to visit with his girl on his arm. So this is August, and they started dating, I guess, that summer. Like right after his wife passed away, early July. So a month. 
while my mom is in the hospital recovering from cancer, my grandfather comes in to visit with his girl on his arm. He said enough time had passed and they needed to start acting like adults and finally meet this woman. Because, surprise, she lives with him now and had been there since July. But, baby, y'all met in July. Damn. She moved right on in. I mean, I guess, you know, when you're in your 70s, you can't take that much time. <laughs> uh, back in the email. So she just went away on Sundays when the family was visiting so that nobody would find out that she was living there. As we find out more and more information about her, we find out that she has four dead husbands, the last of which had died on June 7th, 2000. So my mom, aunt, and uncle decide that my grandfather's will isn't strong enough. They go to a lawyer, and all four, the three of them plus my grandfather, become power of attorney. Later in August, we find out that good old Gramps has been popping Viagra. Oh, You know what, my. Oh, my. You know what? You do your thing, baby. Oh, you, my. You torque it out. Uh, but also, he had he had a known heart condition, and I'm pretty sure that you weren't supposed to take that. That's true. Okay. You yeah, can't be nah. doing that shit if your heart's fucked nah, up. Nah, girl. You need to just get creative, Gramps. Uh, his diet had also changed drastically to any and everything this woman could fry. So my mom, aunt, and uncle start talking to my grandpa and kind of playing along. They let him know that they understand he was lonely and they would give her another chance while all trying to find out as much info as possible about these dead husbands. This conversation leads to a lot of new information, the most notable being that over the 4th of July weekend, my grandfather had eloped to marry this woman. Dun, dun, dun. The dun, dun, dun is actually typed out and I appreciate it. My mom and aunt were pissed. So the next Sunday dinner, my mom and aunt not so subtly start drilling this woman about her previous husbands. They were all 15. (laughs) I'm sure that was real fun. Oh, yeah. I would love to be there. They were all 15 to 30 years older than her, and every single one of them had died of a massive heart attack. So then they start asking her, what does she do for work? Oh, you don't have a job, says mom? I'd reckon not with all that life support you've received. Oh, says Aunt Sue. Well, just so you know, my father doesn't have a will. We are all actually power of attorney, so if he dies, you don't and won't get shit, says Mom. (laughs) Fucking Mom. Sounds like my mom shit. (laughs) Mom is a street shooter. (laughs) My mom. That sounds like some she would say. I don't have to take this, says Francis. I'm guessing Francis is the uh, Black Widow. And storms off. Silence. Actually, the email says science fills the trailer, and I wasn't going to call you out, girl, but that's really funny. Science. Science fills the trailer. Yes. Bill Nye, the science guy, just like <laughs> swoops in. Uh, silence, what I'm assuming, fills the trailer as we all finish eating and leave. Please keep in mind that I'm 10 years old at this point, so exact quotes may be off. However, it was pretty darn close. The very next Sunday, we walk in the door ready for round two. Where's the Black Widow, says my aunt to my grandfather. He looks at her and cries a little. Frances decided that she didn't want to come between me and my kids, especially while they are mourning the loss of their mother. November 15th, 2000, the divorce was finalized, and we all had a little more to be thankful for that year. So there you go. Best, Katie. Oh. That's, uh, that's interesting. Crazy! What a I crazy whirlwind like, I love that clap back. Well, it's not really a clap back, but I love that shade that was thrown uh, by the mother at the table. Like, oh, I guess you don't have to work with all that uh, 
Is it life support? You said life support. Is that uh, correct? What was typed out was life support. I think it was like alimony or um, life insurance money. Life insurance. Yeah. I think that's probably. With all that life insurance. That is uh, great. With all that life support. <laughs> I was kind of like. Like in a hospital. That's great. No. Um, we love so, it. So, yeah. Uh, that was a great A shade right Narrowly there. Narrowly sidestep. Excellent play by mom and uh-huh. auntie. Um, so now, now we're <laughs> okay. Okay. I've been, I've just, I'm just so excited to be so girl uh, downtrodden. <laughs> okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, disclaimer, if you haven't gotten the hint already, this case is, uh, it's got some little, it's got some, uh, some details in it that you may not find appealing. Uh, so fair warning. Uh, turn back now yeah, is what t- I'm telling you. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. We have there, to give trigger warnings for child abuse, animal abuse, pretty much abuse of any kind. Yeah, so trigger warning, turn around now. Insert <laughs> waiting music. <laughs> okay, so we are actually covering the case, or I should say the sex scandal of the Hosanna Church in Louisiana. And now usually I'm down for a sex scandal. Honey, no. Usually I'm at the center of a sex scandal. But we ain't talking about the good kind of sex scandal. No. We talking about some bullshit. No. So um, I pulled, uh, a lot of my information is actually uh, just sort of pulled and spliced together from um, articles that I've read online, namely like... uh, I think it was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Most of this isn't, isn't uh, original. Amazing. Isn't Haunted Heart original writing. No, there here. was a really good article by the New York Times. New York Times, yeah. New York, New York Times, Times was a really good I was going to say the Times, but then I was like, no, it wasn't that. It was the New York Times. I think, some other I ones think people too. call the New York Times like the Times. Like people in New York just say like the Times. Well, our... Listeners are saying it's time for us to get to this story. <laughs> In the Cypress Flats of Tangipoho. Is that right? Tangipoho? Tangipoho. Uh, Tangipoho? I don't think they hit the I behind the J. I think it's like Tangipoho. Tangipoho. That one. In the Cypress Flats of Tangipoho. A fervently religious area in the swamps north of New Orleans, local people still remember proudly how the Reverend Louis LaMonica vowed to take Tangipaho Parish for Jesus. The elder Louis LaMonica began Hosanna with fewer than two dozen congregants. By the 1970s, the church had nearly a thousand members. A sanctuary rose along US 51 north of Ponchatoula Creek, and behind it, a school where a generation of youths studied. In 1984, Mr. LaMonica died. After some interim pastors, the church passed to the younger Mr. LaMonica in the mid-1990s, and strife followed. Mm. Many congregants drifted away, many to the Harvest World Outreach Ministries started by Hosanna's former youth minister. Mr. LaMonica did not respond well to the competition. Former church members uh, claimed that it, you know, it, 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 it angered him, I mm. should say. 
Uh, at one point, he moved to excommunicate anyone who merely visited another church. And he fought with his family, including his mother, who was the church's secretary, uh, eventually ordering them all out of the church. Hmm. A couple of years in, and apparently there was some sort of strange mass exodus from the church, which only left like a handful of members. And now, many of them, including the uh, Luis Lamont, Louis, I keep on wanting to say Luis. I'm not sure if it's Luis, L-O-U-I-S. Oh, I mean, it could be Luis, that that region, like... It could be pronounced Louise. LaMonica. Lamont, yeah. Let's just say We're going to call him LaMonica Jr. And a deputy sheriff who once lived on the church grounds are behind bars accused by the police of a, quote, litany of ungodly offenses. It sounds like the subtitle for my autobiography. See, we're trying to continue those jokes. And you might as well get them now. Get them now. I'm throwing them out there for you. A litany of ungodly offenses. Literally my only job this week is to just try to make this better for you. Yeah. Like we just, it's so bad that we were like full-time duty. Make it better. Yep. Um, And those offenses included uh, the sexual abuse of perhaps two dozen children and the mutilation of cats for satanic rituals. Now, fuck all of that. Yes. Um, Eddie Robinson, assistant pastor at the 5,000-member Harvest World Outreach Ministries. It's a long name. uh, In nearby Hammond, to which many Hosanna members had migrated to once they, you know, were done with this guy's shit, uh, says what happened is clear. Uh, Eddie told his congregants one Sunday that a prophecy of, quote, witchcraft problems had been revealed Mm. in the recent weeks. And, quote, when the leadership of that church kept the enemy out, everything was fine. Referring to the older, his father. LaMonica. The older LaMonica. LaMonica Sr. Yeah. Mr. Robinson said, but when the leadership of that church let the enemy in, things began to change. The authorities, who first got whiff of trouble uh, when a woman, Nicole Bernard, 36 at the time, called the sheriff's office from Ohio to say she had fled the town to save her child from sexual abuse. Ponchatoula was in the midst of its annual strawberry festival when Miss Bernard called the sheriff. She was reluctant to discuss specifics uh, the sheriff claimed at first, uh, and so it was sort of hard to, like, keep her on the phone. Um, so she would call, she'd say, or they would call her back, and she'd say, oh, the dog's barking, or someone's knocking on my door right now, I'll call you back. Um, mm-hmm. Very flighty, mm-hmm. flaky. Mm-hmm. I understand. Yes, you, you do. <laughs> you wrote the book on flaky. Uh, and then they eventually got to talking, and she began to name some names. So that stirred up some drama uh, in this little town. And once it did, the younger Luis, or the younger LaMonica Jr. Potentially Luis. Potentially Luis, walked into the sheriff's office in neighboring in the neighboring Livingston Parish where he lived and proceeded to describe all manner 
of sexual offenses. So he comes in at 1.15 p.m. on 16th of May, 2005. It just seems like a weird time to turn yourself into the police for, like, aggressive crimes. Well, like, I'll get into that. Did you that. just get you some lunch? Like, did you stop <laughs> over, have a burger, then head into the police to well, confess go, to a horrific tr- crime? Um, you know, I got to go hit up the Walmart. I go pick up my dry cleaning. Oh, and then confess to horrible, uh, insane crimes on the way. Yeah. Um, but Just seems actually, like a midday errand. Like, I feel like I would save that one for the end of the day. Yeah. You know? So the authorities were equally as like, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel like probably because everybody was like out on their beat, right? Yeah. And like the police station probably was not super staffed at 115. So there's probably like one dude who's like the fuck up. Who he's trying to take notes. Now he's having to like deal with the shit. He's got an edit book like me. He's like, um, what? You did what? No, it's his first day. <laughs> it's literally his <laughs> oh first day. Oh my God, day. he's an intern. And he's he's a trainee and his mentors like left him to like, God. hey, I'm going to go run and get I'm going to go get lunch, lunch with really the boys. Quickly. But you're um, not invited because it's like a click thing and it's like really mm-hmm. like damaging. So you just stay here because we have to have someone here. Right. And, <laughs> and then Fuck. this fucking guy strolls in. Yeah that, yeah, that yeah, that would be my luck. Um, has been my luck. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so he comes in and makes his confession, and what he had to say was it it floored the detective to say the least. Um, so the pastor, this pastor, the Monica Jr. of the Hosanna Church uh, in the nearby Hammond area, claimed that he had performed satanic rituals child abuse and animal sacrifice in the church in his church and that he was not alone in his confession la monica sat down and announced i want to talk about the dedication to satan of a baby okay um we're gonna need to call uh bill and tim and john back from uh from lunch uh Uh uh-huh we have what a couple magazines okay. uh, that you can read while you wait. Um, got a new <laughs> copy of highlights. Highlights. Uh, fresh off the press. This guy is like trying to find the fucking the. He's put. I can't even form sentences at this point. <laughs> um, but can you imagine uh, some motherfucker he's, he's working in the puzzles and, like, and highlights? I want to talk to you about the dedication of a baby to Satan. That's kind of like okay. the exact opposite of like a Jehovah's Witness. True. Um, so, yeah. So what he says is that it was held at the church upstairs in, in what was called the youth room. Okay. He went on to describe a room where all the windows were covered in black um, with black paper to keep it dark. Uh, and that there was a pentagram in the middle of the floor, he said, and a book of spells and temptations on this occasion he claimed there were five others present austin trey bernard remember that name bernard from the lady who called earlier Uh. (laughs) um the third uh la monica's own wife robin Uh another church member paul fontenot fontenot maybe not um, <laughs> sheriff's de- and then sheriff's deputy Chris Labatt and Patricia 
Trish Pearson. All but Labonte. You know what? Thank you, Patricia, for having an easily pronounceable name. Trish Pearson. Yep. It's probably the only thing we can thank your old stank ass for, but we'll get into that. Oh, yeah. All but Labatt later pleaded guilty to charges ranging from aggravated rape to sexual battery to obstruction of justice. Mm. Labatt was charged with child pornography, um, but somehow uh, the charges were uh, dismissed. So not sure what happened mm. there. The okay. thing with this case is that like I was it was really hard for me to find information on like convictions of the other people involved. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But um, LaMonica stated that they would start off like a church service, but with satanic music. Uh, there were candles burning, dark red candle holders, and the dedication of a babe of baby A into Satan uh, with this pentagram, which was um, drawn on the floor, and she was placed in the middle of it in a black dress. He described chanting around the child, which happened to be Trey Bernard's own daughter, Hmm. who was barely one year old at the time, before killing a cat, draining its blood, and each drinking it. He claimed they did not make the child drink because she was too young, and instead uh, took off her dress and sprinkled the blood over her. These meetings, according to LaMonica, took place once every two to three months. Mm. On other occasions, certain girls would be picked um, to have sexual relationships with. The guys would line up one by one. Uh, They would come and, you know, uh, uh, God. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't just the men. It was the women as well. The two, the other women that were involved with this, apparently, allegedly. Hmm. Um, he claimed that there was, that this youth room had like, that it was really nasty. Apparently there was feces laying around and there was hmm. urine and it was just all sorts of nasty. Um, and he claimed that during these, quote, satanic rituals, mm-hmm. end quote, um, he would become distorted by the devil and that demons would change him into an animal, be it a snake, fox, wolf, spiders, all that, all of that mess. Um, each member of this group, this pedophile ring, had a nickname, he claimed. Trish Pearson was called Bluey Black. Um, after the color of her face when I beat her ass. <laughs> this is what I'm about. This is what I want to say. When Kitty Strader rolled up in there and beat her fucking ass. That's right. But no, it was uh, after the colors on the spell book that she carried. Mm. He called his own wife, Robin, the lady, because she was an organizer and made sure that stuff goes right. I don't think there was much going right there. No. You know, I mean, I'm just going to. Um, nothing at all. Doesn't doesn't seem like much is going right, Robin. I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, no. Trey was the mastermind. Ugh, gag me. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and LaMonica himself was chief. Oh, my God. What kind of fucking bullshit. This reminds me of uh, the Vanguard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Except so. Actually, yeah. Yeah, except, the Vanguard. Except just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> exactly like the Vanguard. 
Uh, so LaMonica stated that the secret ceremonies had started in 1999 and carried on to 2003 um, when he and his wife separated and he moved out of the church building. After LaMonica confessed to everything, I, won't, I am here to tell you, this motherfucker had the audacity to stand up and make like he was going to walk right out of the police station. I feel like, was he just a fucking idiot? And like, if he, he thought that if he... Confess that you can't be charged? He Is thought, he just a fucking dumbass? He thought that by aiding the police that he was going to somehow uh, be granted immunity. Okay. No. But you have to, like, strike that deal. Like, you have For, to strike that yeah, deal Right. They have to bring front. that to you. You don't come in and just, like, talk about abusing children and mm-hmm. then, like... You, then they cut you a deal because I you feel like after you talk about how you hurt a children cat and 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 spraying, and spraying its blood, its on, its a baby. blood on on a on an on an infant, I'm like, gonna tell you what we wouldn't have got past the murder and a cat thing because right then and there I'm gonna shoot him like and <laughs> I'll go on and the record and you're on the sheriff and you just like literally okay. discharge his weapon <laughs> like and then he was discharged. <laughs> That's it. No. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's what he we thought. We wouldn't have gotten much. Uh, that, wow, what a fucking idiot. He thought he was going to walk right the fuck out. Hmm. So, by the time the case reached um, reached court uh, in the summer of 2008, there were two competing narratives that had emerged. And neither of them gave credence to any sort of satanic cult um, or any of that that he had mentioned but that was the story that stuck publicly. To the prosecutor, District Attorney Don Wall, the case had nothing to do with the occult. Any reference to that was simply um, an attempt by LaMonica to wriggle out of his own guilt by somehow claiming to have been compelled by Satan. And that uh, these acts uh, and everything that had happened was pedophilia, just brutal and sustained and grim. Mm. And that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm inclined to believe, mm-hmm. uh, 100%. Yeah. To hop in here, um, this is, I want to mention it just because it's it's kind of tangentially related to this case, although this case happens a lot later. Um, some of you guys, this may be kind of, um, I guess, like lighting up some brain cells in your brain thinking about satanic panic Mm -hmm. um and the period of time that we did have in the uh late 70s uh throughout a lot of the 80s and then into the 90s um where a lot of crazy crimes were blamed on so-called satanists um and the country really kind of freaked the fuck out um after this guy mike warnke uh, published The Satan Seller in 1972. That kicked off this era of like total paranoia where it seemed like, you know, if you believed uh, what was to be told on television, that there were devil worshipers in every single town. And, you know, we have the famous case of, uh, of McMartin Preschool where, you know, the kids are um, pulled into interview rooms and the adults are trying to get like, these crazy lurid details from these kids and they're kind of feeding them information and then the kids' stories get worse and worse and worse and it's this crazy abuse and we end up with kids being like, kids telling stories of being flushed down toilets. Um, I mean, it gets like way out there. Um, So I just kind of want to hop in and say that, you know, this case 
Kenny has researched it pretty thoroughly. Um, I've also looked into it. Um, although satanic ritual abuse doesn't have a very high, there's not any one single case that has been attributed to, um, like arrests that has been attributed to satanic ritual abuse. Um, this case seems to be a legit, you know, pedophile ring. Everything kind of checks out. Um, a lot of the satanic panic cases are not, but this coming a little bit later, um, it definitely has ties to satanic panic, but this seems to be legit from everything that we've researched. Um, you know, this, this is not a case where people are blowing things out of proportion and, you know, blaming things on devil worshippers and blah, 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 blah. This is a case where we're seeing that sort of language and that sort mm -hmm. of ideology being, of course, misused because Satanists don't abuse animals and they don't abuse children. Right. Um, those are like two big tenets of Satanism. Uh, so this seems to be a case where people are using, you know, the bad people, the pedophiles who are, you know, involved in the crime are using that sort of language, that sort of ideology as kind of a smokescreen. Um, yeah. to explain their actions. Yeah. Um, but what it is is a pedophile ring. Exactly. So uh, that was that was the argument that the prosecutor um, brought up. Right. Um, so, and at the time, uh, LaMonica's sons uh, had also given graphic accounts of long-term abuse at the hands mm. of his own father, mm. of the, their own father, um, and also uh, Bernard, the other gentleman who was the other main guy that was there. Mm -hmm. um, the sons had reported being abused by, by Bernard. And, his fa and their father. Uh. And their father. They were a part of the, the children that had been abused. Um, and they also described occasions in which they were subjected to various abuses as they were passed between their father, Bernard, Paul... Um, and at times they had claimed that their um, their mother and Trish Pearson were present. Hmm. Um, but here's where it starts to get a little murky and a little weird. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously it's weird, but the defender... Yeah, I'd say weird. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, children's lives just being completely fucked over and yeah. stripped away. and. But the defender comes in... Uh, Michael Thiel, mm -hmm. uh, and he came up with an altogether, uh, 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 e almost equally as bizarre account, um, in which he cast his client, LaMonica Jr., mm -hmm. uh, as the victim of a Christian cult led by a preacher named Lois Mowbray. Hmm. He alleged that Lois, this false prophet, um, who had moved into the area mm -hmm. and was also a member of Hosanna Church. Mm -hmm. She sort of became, I didn't mention her earlier, but she came in and became a, uh, I think she, like a, an associate pastor or preacher or whatever. I don't know, um, hierarchy in church or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but she became involved in the church. She was the assistant manager of the church. Kind of, <laughs> yes. So... She, I believe, was the catalyst for this mass exodus that happened. Mm -hmm. So right about the time that she comes in and starts becoming involved, that's when this, like, you know, most of the church 
the people that had been attending this church left and you were left with this small group of mm-hmm. pedophiles. Why did they leave? Was it because they didn't like her or? Yes, that's the narrative. Okay. That's the narrative that uh, the defender was, um, that, that he was trying to um, play. Yeah. The defense lawyer. Yeah, the defense okay. lawyer. Um, he alleged that this false prophet had taken over and driven all but a small number of worshipers from Hosanna Church, and that this became her cult. Isolated and obsessed by her notion of cleansing uh, and generational curses, which rendered all guilty of the sins of their father, um, which rendered all guilty of the sins of their forefathers and quote altar calls in which members of the congregation were called to publicly confess their sins so that she could cleanse them of their demons at the end of these ceremonies the cleansed had to vomit out their demons mr thiel claimed that she was a charismatic who brainwashed his client and family into making a false confession Ah, so the defense lawyer is trying to spin it such that none of this happened. None of this actually happened. That the the Lois that Lois that Lois is it's all part of a weird cult thing. This weird cleanse thing, and they okay that none of this abuse ever happened. Okay. That's what he's trying to I mean, to do spin. we have medical records? Do we have the kids being checked out that that, that it did happen? Well, I'm going to, like I said, it all gets really, it, so, and yeah, just let me I mean, because I could almost see that argument of him walking into the police station and just saying, like, well, that was, you know, I mean, that, that was, is a really compelling argument. That was a part of it. But also, a really compelling argument is that he's just a fuck up. Yeah. So, there was something... <laughs> cult evil he was quoted as saying that there was something cult-like evil and sinister going on at the church Mm -hmm. um and that evil and that an evil sinister presence was personified by a self-proclaimed prophet a person who professes to have a direct connection to god a person who likened herself to be the second moses and this is lois she yeah she was someone who was destined to lead Tangipo Parish out of Egypt and away from Pharaoh's and supposed prophet used her claim connection to God to manipulate, coerce, control, and exert authority and power. That was part of his opening speech. Okay. Um, I'm just going to, I know Louisiana's got a lot of issues that they're yeah. dealing with, yeah. but um, Tangipo Parish ain't in, uh, Parish ain't, in um, ain't in Egypt, baby. Yeah. It's I'm, not, it's not any Egypt. Egypt in Africa. Right. Tejapo Parish in America. In America. <laughs> North America. Yeah. So she was arrested. Different hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> Even. We're just different. Not the same. How you gonna lead people which out of Egypt of when they ain't like, in which Egypt, Which one of baby? these is unlike the other? <laughs> How you gonna lead people out of Egypt when they ain't in Egypt yet? Y'all gonna have to raise some missionary money, selling some cookies or candy bars or something Amen. to get to Egypt first so that you can be led out of Egypt. Amen. So she was arrested for failure to report child abuse. Although this is not a crime in Louisiana, if you are a pastor, she was not, um, if you are a pastor, um, and charges against her were dropped. She apparently had instructed LaMonica to write down his sins in order to cleanse himself through confession. 
And this, rather than going to authorities, was her reaction to supposedly his tales of violently abusing his sons and all of this stuff. Uh, her reaction to it was to, oh, write it down. And, you know, supposedly. Just make a note of make that? Make a note Just of it. fucking jot yeah. it down in a fucking... She didn't go to the Spiral meat notebook? Well, like, you ain't gonna make no calls, no, girl? she just told him to write it down. She oh, won't okay. go into the authorities. Oh, okay. So there is no mention in these writings that LaMonica... So his confessions that he right. wrote down. Right. Um, there is no mention of Satan or any of their rituals... Um, there was mention um, that they used they used like animal masks and black robes, um, and he had written more than two hundred pages um, detailing what he did to his children and who he did it with. Mm-hmm. So he wrote down this stuff, mm. claiming it to be a confession. Um, state police and the FBI, who were called in to investigate the church, the FBI got involved because they got wind that there was possible um, child pornog- pornography from this posted online. Mm, so okay. then the FBI gets involved. Okay. Um, they found, when they research, when they searched the area, they found no DNA evidence of animal blood, no satanic scrawls in the youth room. Um, they even checked under blacklight. Nothing was found. Um, and LaMonica had claimed, that LaMonica had claimed um, that, and lots of people had claimed that they saw, like, a faint outline of a pentagram scrubbed on the floor. None of that was found by the FBI. LaMonica claimed his confession was false and forced. So this is when they're at trial. and But please note, his sons had already previously, um, you know, given their, their statements and their right. testimonies. How old were the sons, do we know? Um, I'm not sure, but they were... Like teenagers? They were younger than that. Younger than TA. Okay. They were younger than that. Um, okay. At the time of the article, which I think was written in early 2000s, it said they were now 18 to 20. So. Okay. So probably like teens, early teens, maybe. Okay. I think they had been early teens. Um, so his sons recanted hmm. um, their own accounts on the stand. So this, the, that's what I mean. It gets really weird. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, it was the bleak plotline of abuse, not the outlandish uh, fictions of Satanism and the occult, or the power of a false prophet that the jury who convicted him and the judge who sentenced him believed. Um, LaMonica is currently serving four life sentences uh, wow. to run concurrently. He has had a petition to appeal denied. Bernard received three consecutive life sentences. Wow. Um, and then the aftermath of the scandal, there were all of these, like, because, you know, this is a small town. So there were all these calls to um, tear down Hosanna Church. And one company wanted to buy it, bulldoze it, and put a hospital on the site. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, um, Hurricane Katrina saved anyone the trouble of gutting the building. Um and so it was cleared out, quote, not by a con- contractor, but by an act of God. Hmm. And that's sort of where a lot of the articles leave off. It's very, it was very hard for me to find out information on, I think, several of the people that had been involved in this, like the other people. Um, some of them were arrested, like it told me that they were arrested for like obstruction of justice, but 
I couldn't find anything that was like that they got convictions other than LaMonica and mm. this Bernard guy. But clearly there was something there for them to convict on. Right. Apparently because there was an article that I read that when the two the young boys, LaMonica's young boys recanted, mm-hmm. um the person who was they were telling it to said that they were very um like they had tears in their eyes. They right. were like they could tell he could tell that they were visibly upset, but right. they were recanting. Right. So it's very like he's in jail. He's not getting out, but it's very up into the air. Like obviously there was no, um, you know, satanic rituals and stuff that was going on that he claimed. Right. Um, because FBI ruled that out. Um, but there was obvious abuse going on. Right. And either way you go about and you spin it, whether it was his defense lawyer who, you know, claimed that none of it never happened and that it was all fake and um, that he was brainwashed and being worked over by this Lois um, HBIC of the church. Hmm. Um, one article that I read stated that um, she is the one who told him to go and confess. Mm-hmm. to the um to the police and right. that's why he went right uh and that she is the one who told him oh if you go and confess then they can't charge you they won't charge right you. and that's why he did it yeah just double check if anybody ever think, gives you that advice just yeah, just double check it yeah i think that this lowest i think it was i think it was fishy from all around i definitely think that it's a scandal i think that um, the whole, you know, satanic part of it was, you know, a panic. Right. Part, I think. And that's what people hold on to. Right. Because yeah, that's, that's what people that's remember. That's what's juicy. Right. That's what people right. remember, you know. Um, I definitely believe that there was abuse that was going on. Right. Um, they, you know, I guess were able to track down, um, you know, a, some of the kids, some of the articles, one article that I read said that they weren't able to like track them all because there were um they in his confessions that he wrote down a lot mm-hmm. of uh, the times he used nicknames mm. for you know the kids right um so it's just a very strange and odd case right all around but i think it's very um poignant i guess is the word uh, to use for hurricane katrina coming and yeah knocking it all down yeah, I think, you know, there's a, it, it's interesting because, you know, there is that element of satanic panic involved with this case. And I think what sometimes we lose in, you know, looking at those cases is like, yeah, it may not be that people were wearing black robes and chanting and spraying animal blood all over. By the way, happy that the cat made it, right? No traces of animal blood when well, the FBI did but their thing. There was Maybe also, somebody cleaned. Well, but there was actually, he was also charged against, he was actually charged for animal cruel, cruelty as well, for sex with an animal, uh, with a poodle. Damn. A poodle. So the cat made it, but the poodle, the poodle, poodle didn't get a... No. Yeah, didn't, didn't fare... Um, that fucking poodle, man. You know that poodle was like, God damn it. <laughs> you, mm. This fucking ugly motherfucker right here. 
for real. Um, but no, I think the important piece in the, that this case kind of brings to light is that sometimes, you know, it may not be that people are wearing black robes and sacrificing babies uh, to Satan, but, you know, there could be some shit going on, you know, yeah. there because it's easy to look at a lot of those, and I'm even guilty of this myself, it's easy to look at a lot of those satanic panic cases and be like, oh, these is just, especially, I feel like it's especially people like you and I are especially susceptible to that mm. because we do know a little something about Satanism. And because we kind of have that knowledge, we look at the Satanic Panic stuff and we're like, um, we're, we're super critical of it. We're super, you know, oh, this is just, you know, white Christians getting their panties in a knot because yeah. they, you know, somebody's a little bit different and like it's a problem. But sometimes, you know, that there is actually something to that case. And sometimes we actually do like in this case have a pretty good indication, good enough for four consecutive life sentences and three consecutive life sentences of abuse that is happening. Um, and it's a bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess just because something has that element to it and you don't want to contribute to satanic panic because I get it. Um, you know, that was a time period when a lot of people who were different, a lot of people who are just like you and me and all the listeners of the show, um, if you wear like fucking kiss t-shirts, then you're the devil. Like yep. you're, you're part of what everybody's so afraid of. But, yeah. but I think too, we need to kind of take it with a grain of salt and, and, and maybe look at some of those cases and say, okay, maybe devil worship isn't what's happening here, but but what is happening? Um, is there another element that's going on that needs to be investigated further? Yeah, I totally agree. It was just so, like, researching this case was just so confusing because it was like I was researching it and I thought I was done, but then they introduced this Lois character, and I was like, well, fuck, where did she come from? Like, right. She came up out of nowhere. Right. Um, and then you get all these descriptions. Like, you get this, you know, he's describing she all this stuff. She seems ominous. She is, like, there's she a lot of, seems... no, so there's a lot of stuff that I didn't mention because of just time limitations. Right. Like, there's lots of... There's an uh, account, and I might post this like on the website or stuff, but um, of where La Monica, of like other things that like she did within this church cult, because mm -hmm. you've got, um, there were two young women um, who they actually called to testify um, who were members of the Hosanna Church and were named um, as victims. Hmm. Um, because, like I said, some of them, like, there were names. They were able to find some. But right. then not all of them. Right. Sometimes there were nicknames. Right. Um, but they, you know, testified to uh, these these two girls came to testify. Um, and they said that their membership in the Hosanna Church was just solely about worshiping God. That they um, never saw any satanic symbols or rituals at the church. Um, and that even though they had been named as participants, like I said... Um, by some of the suspects, even LaMonica's own sons, both women said they never had sex with LaMonica or any other church members. Interesting. So it instead they described this Christian cult right. related around, like that which circled around this Lois character who is sort of takes like what's interesting is that this story starts or in this case starts one way. And right. you get one perspective of it. But then as you dig deeper, it's almost like a rabbit hole. 
Right. And you sort of, it makes you wonder, it makes you question. Um, but I don't have answers for you. <laughs> yeah. I don't have answers for you because of, you know, it, I just don't. And Lamonic has never released like a full statement. He's not. Well, I mean, he's apparently, I mean, he prison. still tries to get his, you know, uh, uh, appeals or whatever the hell it is that mm-hmm. you call it. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Hmm. So, but they're both given, we're both given life sentences. Double, triple, quadruple yeah. life sentences. So right. they're not coming out um, anytime soon. So He and uh, the Bernard guy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So. All right. Well, uh, that was fascinating. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it was very fascinating. It um, was, it went a little better than I thought it was going to. Everybody needs to take a shower now and yeah. a stiff drink. Uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you guys about this case this mm-hmm. week is because we have a very, very exciting special guest. Yes. Luis LaMonica Jr., ladies <laughs> no. and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, no. We have um, invited Lord Satan himself, who is... <laughs> to weigh in on the case. Um, Listen, no. motherfucker. <laughs> shit do with me. That motherfucker. I love cats. I love their um. cats. I love their poodle, too. I shook my damn head when I saw him do that. Shake my damn head. Shaking my SMDH. damn... SMDH. SMDH. Shaking my damn horns. <laughs> Yeah, my damn horns. Um, no, our special guest this week is uh, J.P. Willie. He is an indie horror author and a veteran, and we are gonna interview him about his book Blood in the Woods. And Blood in the Woods uh, is loosely based on slash inspired by the um, Hosanna Church scandal. Yes. It's a very interesting read. Um, Katie and I um, both fully enjoyed the book, and we're very excited to um, have JP on and talk not just about the story, but just about um, horror in general um, and, you know, what it means to be a part of this community and to be um, someone who um, is, um, you know, an independent sort of horror creator. Right, right. Yeah, definitely, because we talk a lot about... Um, the process of writing the book and what that was like for him and um, kind of what it's like to to be a, an indie horror creator and to, you know, he works not only as a novelist but also as a screenwriter um, and director. And so we think it will be really fun for you guys. So we're yeah. going to roll that and hope you enjoy it. Yes. Hey guys, we are here with J.P. Willie, author of Blood in the Woods, and we're going to do a fun little interview so that you can learn a little bit more about J.P., learn about the book, and get all kinds of fun info. Yes, we're really excited. Um, So, hi, J.P. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. We are um, really excited to be talking with you today and going over the book. Blood in the Woods. Uh, really excited to do this. I'm actually, I've actually been. This has been in the works for a minute. For a minute. <laughs> it has. It has. But things happen. Life gets in the way sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So we're just kind of going to talk about the book. Feel free to share any info uh, for our listeners. I think that. So Kenny and I have both read it. 
Um, your publisher was very kind to send us copies. Yeah, that um, was uh, amazing. Yeah. So we both read the book. We both really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read a lot of, I, I read a lot of books in general, but specifically a lot of horror books. Um, and I really had a good time with this one. It was very fun. Um, I have to say I love the cover because yeah. it like gives me like the VHS vibe. Awesome. Yes, I love it too. The uh, graphic artist's name's Joey Brana. Uh, he's absolutely amazing. Great guy. Yeah, it's like really cool. So um, we we first um, our first interaction with the book was actually the trailer on YouTube. Yeah. And yeah, I know Kenny really liked that. I yeah. So the trailer was actually one of my um, like that's what drew me in because uh, you know I'm a very visual person. So like if I that just it for me it just just sort of sucked me in and then so like once you had um when it started and you had the music by uh what was it time cop amazing he was so nice to let me use that song great guy um and you just see that like um like the bike well yeah you have like the bikes and but then you have like that uh start of you get that view of the night sky and the city coming down Mm -hmm. um and then at the end, when you've got blood in the woods, the title just sort of like masked in front of the uh, scene of them riding the bikes. Like I absolutely loved it. Um, so I guess uh, was that something that did like did you did you direct that or or film that? Yeah, or? actually, I wrote I wrote that. Um, just a quick little, you know, like a you know, like a, almost like a little screenplay. It was just very short, like maybe less than two pages, just so the vision that I had for it. I had a buddy that was down visiting from Chicago who was, was down with some pretty uh, good film equipment. I believe we shot that with a, um, oh dear God, I can't remember, but it was pretty good. It was a very good camera, as you can see, because you've watched it. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote it, and he was down. And uh, what was special about that uh, trailer was one of the kids, the uh, shorter, blonde-haired kid, is actually my best friend Jack's son. Aww. portrayed him in you know the trailer so it was very special to do it in my hometown and uh it was really it was really fun to do and, and everybody that watches it they absolutely love it so yeah i was like i i actually kept re-watching it i was like i was into the music <laughs> was really I, was, cool. I was into the music i was into the vibe like it was i just i kept re-watching it and i i pretty sure i shared it like <laughs> on facebook and all that cool stuff yeah so. we'll post it for you guys so you can you can take a look at it too yeah definitely all right so let's get started um just kind of in general what sparked your interest in writing novels and specifically writing horror genre novels i've always been a horror fan like uh, since i was at least seven years old after reading bram stoker's dracula uh, now to say if I completed it or knew every word that was in it that I, I can't remember because it's a pretty difficult read for seven. But uh, yeah. I remember there was a line in the book uh, that said the dead travel fast and it just gave, mm. you know, chills down my spine when I read it. And so, you know, my mom uh, growing up, she let me watch like Jaws, like as I started getting like 10, 11, you know, I was in the Friday the 13th, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So uh, I've been a horror fan for a very long time. And I didn't really decide to start writing until after my good friend Jack's sister, Jamie, passed away. And I had picked up a little book that most writers and most anyone that inspires a writer wants to. It's a little book from Stephen King called On Writing. And in mm-hmm. the very back of the, the novel, well, I don't know if it's a novel, it's just a book. 
uh, you know, his memoirs and how he got started and, and tips for writers. And the very back, it shows like three stages of his work. It shows like, you know, from his mind onto paper. Then it goes to show his second edits that he goes through and does, you know, months or weeks later. And then it shows the final product after it goes to the editors. And when I looked at that, I was like, man, I was like, this sort of, you know, reads how mine does right now. I was like, it's, you know, it's not great. It's not polished up. I'm, I don't have a degree in English or nothing like that. But, you know, if someone wants your story, they're the ones that turn your shit into gold. That's what mm-hmm. an editor does. And so it gave me the confidence to go out there and, you know, write Blood in the Woods and get it to the right publisher. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, so are there any other authors, like in particular, that you would find yourself drawn to? Uh, I like Clive Barker. Um, mm. I like um, uh, Chad Palahniuk. Uh, he, he's very good. Uh, of course, you know, Bram Stoker. Um, uh, and Stephen King, of course, I think every horror fan has at least read one of his works and, you know, they either enjoyed it and read another, uh, but those are probably my biggest like literary influences that, you know, I enjoy reading. Cool. 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 Yeah. I know I spent, I guess it was a couple years ago now. I had never read it cover to cover and I like sacrificed an entire summer to just read <laughs> it. And, like, Kenny watched as my, like, mind slowly just, like, melted. Because there's so much. Like, you think that it's just, like, the clown and, like, there's – but it's just so heavy. Like, it's really about, like, growing up in time and you can't go back and all that. So – That was a tough – That was. It a was tough a lot. For, that, was, that was tough watching you uh, <laughs> go through that. <laughs> Well, congratulations! Uh, I still haven't uh, finished it. Thank I, you. I, it's a bit. I, mean, I can't. I can't stay focused long enough to finish it. Just, it's too heavy. I, I like it sort of quick, fast, and let's get to the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that book was like when you showed me that when she showed me that book, I was like, how thick it was. It was longer like, than the Bible. And a lot like, of it, damn. honestly, a lot of it could have been cut out, but we won't talk about that because <laughs> that's heresy. Um, so what? Uh, would you like to kind of give, because obviously, probably, the folks that we're talking to haven't read your book, Blood in the Woods, but would you like to kind of give our listeners a quick synopsis of what the novel's about? Uh, Blood in the Woods is a coming-of-age um, occult horror novel inspired by true events from uh, my childhood growing up in the small town of Hammond, uh, Louisiana. It follows the story of uh, a fictitious version of myself and best friend Jack through our adventures growing up. And one day we actually stumble on something absolutely horrible in the woods one day and our lives quickly take a turn for the worse. So if that sums it up, yeah, that's yeah. the best I can do. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. You Good job. I away too much. No, yeah, that was perfect. <laughs> perfect. Um, so how long, like, I know you mentioned, um, you know, about uh, having um, ADHD and whatnot or um, and how difficult it is to, like, you know, complete something from start to finish. So how long was that process um, to to write this book from start to finish? Because I know, like, with me personally, it's really hard to, like, if I, like, I have many projects that I would love to complete and have in my, you know, and have to do, but, um, like, and it's, I can start them, and sometimes it's really hard to finish them, or mm-hmm. it takes such a long time. So how, mm-hmm. how long did it take you to, to finish it? Uh, to be honest, it, it took me about two years to complete, you know, Blood in the Woods, like, you know, the manuscript. It took me about two years, you know, juggling, you know, the Army lifestyle and, mm-hmm. you know, kids and and, and work and, and everything. It took, you know, quite some time. And then throw on top of that, that I have, you know, ADHD. 
and you know, I, it's really hard for me to stay focused sometimes. And uh, that's what almost everything that I that I do. And uh, now it's even worse now that I've moved into like filmmaking. And so you know, I'm writing scripts. I'm you know producing some. I'm assembling cast and crew locations. Also directing, editing. So um, my other novella that I've been working on for the last like year and a half is on its final leg. But that that's taken quite some time too. It's just really you know chipping away at it. Uh, you know, one day at a time and getting to it when you can, you know, always mm. going back and redefining your plot and your characters and seeing what you want to touch up on, you know, again, what you want to, you know, make more entertaining or interesting. So it does take me quite some time for any of the works that I do. Yeah. So you mentioned um, that you're in the military. How do you think being in the military has affected you as an author? Uh, you probably experienced it a little bit since both of you have read it. The uh, level of violence uh, mm. that, is, yeah. that, is in, that is inside of the book is sort of and – it, and, it, and it comes out of really nowhere. A lot of the times when you read it, it's you don't expect it. And it's much like you know being in the military and out on patrol and you get hit by an ambush. It really – your life just changes within like the snap of a finger. And I sort of wanted to bring that to readers and take them out of their comfort zone and – you know, and, and, you know, bring a level of violence that their eyes would possibly never see and put it on paper. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we see so much violence every day, um, especially, you know, in um, in the world we live in today. Um, and, you know, we've really become desensitized to a lot of the material. Do you think that that's um, that that affects us negatively or, or positively? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, for me, I think it's a positive thing. Um, to, to others who aren't as like strong-minded or uh, or whatever, they see certain things that can really affect them. And, you know, it's like the same job for like police officers, first responders. They, they see some atrocious things, you know, but they still wake up the next morning. And uh, me, I'm a person of faith, so I believe, I believe faith has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. And really just your character and just your, your mindset, like how strong-minded you are to wake up every day and, and face, you know, the horrors of the world and, uh, you know, and overcome them. So props to everyone who does that. And, uh, yeah. but to answer your question, I think it's, a, I think for me, from my opinion, it's a positive thing to be somewhat desensitized to certain things that you see or come across. Right. So that you can put it into a more logical, intellectual frame of mind instead of reacting emotionally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And thanks for your service, by the way. Yes, we didn't say course. that up top, but. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Genuinely. Um, so you mentioned that the book is a coming-of-age story, but what are some of the other major themes of the book? Ooh, definitely family. Um, first loves, and I, I truly honestly believe the book is about the unbreakable bond of friendship. And friendship is one of the most, if you have a good one or you know a great friend that's there, you've been known for years, it's one of the greatest things you know, that you can have in your life. Sometimes your friends are there more than family. Yeah, that's so, true. And, yeah, and that happens sometimes. So I really think that's what the book is about. And I tried to capture that um, really because I was just sort of pouring, you know, my heart out to, you know, how much I missed my, my childhood friend. Yeah. So I think that's what it's really about is friendship and, and how it's almost unbreakable when the bond is just so strong. Right. right. Yeah, I definitely, I related a lot to that. Um, and I related a lot to the, to the, um, to the character a little bit too. I mean, I grew up like, I, my mother was a single mother. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a sibling. Mm -hmm. uh, father wasn't really present. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, you know, I, you know, also have like a best friend that, you know, we kind of have been through some things as well. It ain't um, me. It ain't just, you. <laughs> just to let everybody know. No, it's not you. Not I'm a her. different best friend. <laughs> but like that whole idea of having a childhood best friend and then, you know, how, you know, certain things can affect that that relationship and, you know, how sometimes it's almost necessary for you to move on and right. grow so that you can heal and then come back to it, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree 100%. Like, you know, when I joined the military, that was 19 years ago, and I just got back to the state of Louisiana 17 years later. So I've been here in Louisiana for the past three years. And I just spoke to my friend Jack yesterday, the, you know, the guy who's, you know, his fictitious self is in the book. Yeah. I, I just spoke to him yesterday. And uh, I told him, I was like, man, nothing, you know, you know, is more heartbreaking than talking to you on the phone and really not knowing you anymore. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, I was like, you don't know me anymore. I don't know you. Like all we have is what we had. And it's, and some people would say it's pathetic that you have those memories and you hang on to them. I think that those were some of the most wonderful times of my life. And, you know, Jack agreed with me. We really don't know each other anymore, but still our bond is so strong. We would still be there for each other at the snap of a finger. Right. Yeah. Now, does Jack know that you wrote the book? Yeah, yeah. All, awesome. all, all the people that you, you read about, they, they knew it was a work of fiction. Cool. Uh, but they did want it. They did allow me to use their names. And, you know, they wanted to be a part of something special. And I couldn't think of another way to honor my childhood friends than to, you know, hopefully one day, you know, get a novel published out there, you know, with them in it, you know, where they'll forever right. be within a work of, you know, literature. So, and I'm glad that happened. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was thinking I was as I was reading because I, you can really tell that it's um, that it was very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was that was a question that I was you know gonna ask was that was was Jack inspired by um, like you know a tr- like a real life right uh, friend because yeah, yeah, it was just yeah, that's, so that's, personal. Yeah, that's that was based off my best friend and he and he still is uh, to this day. I don't have many, uh, but I know Jack's number one. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, you really take a lot of inspiration from where you grew up, obviously in Hammond. Um, and we talked about the Hosanna church scandal a little bit ago. What was it that drew you to that case in the first place? Well, it was the events that we were, you know, witnessing on our street growing up uh, as a kid. In, in real life, we grew up on Lee Hughes Road uh, mm-hmm. out in Baptist, Louisiana, which is like less than a mile outside of the city limits for Hammond. And there's a lot of weird things going on. I mean, we saw people peeping over our fences, the the drums that people that we used to hear in the woods. Uh, that was real. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, used stumble, we used to stumble across altars. There was just a huge rise of like uh, occult activities across the, uh, the state of Louisiana and really the Bible Belt. Um, because when the novel debuted, I had people, you know, reaching out to me from Virginia, like where you guys and gals are at, and Missouri telling me that, hey, this was happening where we lived out here in the country. You know, cows were getting mutilated, their hearts, hearts cut out, satanic rituals were, you know, so-called happening in the areas. And, uh, and it was real. And it wasn't until 2006 when Jamie passed away. I actually drove back to my just sort of how the book is laid out. I drove down my childhood you know, street, and I stood in my childhood driveway, and I just started, and I, I heard about the story about the crimes that were committed in that church, and I, I didn't know I had blood in the woods yet, but I had an ending to something based off the crimes that were committed into that church. Hmm. So 
once I did start writing, I had already had the ending before I even, you know, really began because, right. you know, when I started putting the pen to the paper, I was like, what is, what really defines a loss of innocence? Mm-hmm. And me being a soldier, I remember when I did certain things or took certain actions that, um, that I felt that I lost a piece of me doing and some of the things I've done. So I tried to bring that into a coming of age. And I do have to commend you. Um, This isn't really an interview question, but it's just a commendation. Um, Having obviously with our show, we do a lot of research into paranormal, but also true crime is a big focus for us. And the satanic panic period is obviously a big focal point. And obviously the Hosanna church scandal is um, a little bit after that period, but I have to commend you for in the novel, when you talk about the so-called like Satanists, um, you have a really good explanation of the difference between Satanists and devil worshipers. It's not all whitewashed into like do my research definitely had to do my research on that Uh, you know being being a and i don't really tell people most but being a christian um you know but in the army i knew soldiers who were satanists i knew soldiers who were wiccans and they were great people i don't judge people based off their religions or what they believe in or don't believe in i I judge them based off their character but what i did want to do you know when you put a piece of work out that is you know can be open for scrutiny from anyone i didn't want to offend a certain religion race gender yada 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 so i had to do my research into that and and really dig into you know some of the beliefs of those religions and sure it was conveyed you know properly uh when going into the novel you know and then then again you know that novel when i finished blood in the woods it took seven years for it to reach you know like any type of publication so i didn't even ever know if that you know that's the story was ever going to be told that's insane yeah that's a long time seven years yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. It's difficult. And uh, I was just on a podcast like two nights ago with the um, screenwriters, two of the screenwriters who wrote Summer of 84. And uh, during the uh, podcast, they were they were talking and they said one of the hardest things, you know, that they had to get, you know, the film directors and the budget for was to convince, you know, basically Hollywood to kill a kid in a film. Mm-hmm. And when he said that in the interview, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's, like, that's probably why the novel didn't get taken up for so damn long, because mm-hmm. there's such violence towards, you know, children in, in the novel. But every, you know, piece of violence in, in that book that happens, it, it occurs in real life. Right. And I think that's yeah. what terrifies people the most. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, without giving, you know, too much away, the ending or the, you know, <laughs> the climax, I should say, um, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> Um, it was very brutal, um, and I was quite literally on the edge of my seat, um, kind of like I was watching a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I was reading, uh, but you know, there was a moment in there that really just sort of kind of made me like I, I had to put the book down for a second. You know, not in a bad way, but like I need a moment. <laughs> right. Which to <laughs> me, to say that. which to <laughs> me is a symbol person. of like powerful storytelling. You know that I like stories that have moments that are either so impactful or so brutal or so jarring that it makes me as the reader have to take a second to digest it, right? Because like, if you're eating really good food, stay with me. If you're eating <laughs> like really, really, really good food. He's from Louisiana. I'm sure he's used to good food. Yes. Yeah, crawfish is in season. A hundred, okay, I'll be there tomorrow. Um, We should have done this interview in person. No. <laughs> Over some crawfish, but um. So if I'm eating really, really, really good food, 
I want to take a minute and digest it. I want to like slow it down. I want to kind of taste it. I want to sit with it for a minute as opposed to like just eating regular dinner, shoveling it in, you know? And to me, the climax kind of functioned in that way that like it was a lot and it was overload, but it forced you to kind of take a second and like sit with it. I kind of get what Kenny was saying. Yeah, I just, I had to, I had to have a moment. I had to like, I started reading and I was like, I was like, well, <laughs> well, I was like, let me just bookmark this for a second. Yeah. Uh, let me get up. Let me get, pour myself some tea. Yeah. <laughs> Have a sip. Let me uh, pet my cat a little bit. Yeah. You know, stare, stare out the window and watch the snowfall and sip my herbal tea. And then. Sounds like I did my job. That's and, all I wanted to mm-hmm. do. And, and then sit down and, and then come back to it. But it sort of reminded me. Um, it definitely reminded me of like a level. And Katie, I don't think has ever seen. But it reminded nope. me of like um, certain films like uh, a Serbian film or any of those like really just brutal, hardcore, um, you know, films that just throw this in your face and just make you almost feel kind of like disgusted mm. or dirty, mm. you know? Yeah, um, but and that's one of my favorite horror films. That that is like my being like I said this to somebody before. Like being a soldier, like not much scares me. Even though I love writing horror, I mean, the first film I just wrapped up on my indie film was like a supernatural horror. But it, it I know it, and I, I'm a big fan of jump scares and stuff like that. But it doesn't scare me. I think it's fun. I think it's great to watch. But what really like terrifies me is. Uh, like just that brutal, shocking horror. I want you to like unnerve me. If you can unnerve me or make me feel disgusted, then you did your job. Because like the <laughs> lifestyle I live, I ain't scared of shit. So right. like, <laughs> you, I need to see something or I need to feel something that that moves me like emotionally or or something. So um, and, and Serbian film is one of my favorite films. Uh, like Serbian film, Martyrs, uh, Frontiers, uh, Baskin. Martyrs. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good films that I like like that. And, and some people just can't stomach it. But I wanted to blend that sort of level of violence into something people could enjoy. But still not the, you know, the wind out of their, you know, lungs. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, yeah, I remember um, I, I watched that film like a couple years ago. I remember somebody, I think it might have been on like a list of like movies you probably can't finish or whatever. Yeah. Me being... Uh, very Kenny said challenge accepted yeah I'm like accepted. challenge hold accepted I'm kind of like yeah hold my beer uh I'm very stubborn in that way and like don't tell me yeah. what what I can't do mm-hmm. um <laughs> and then he called me afterwards and he was like Katie Katie I watched it <laughs> I was Katie, like Katie don't ever watch it I yeah, wish I, I hadn't I felt weird I, you're not this you're not the only one I felt weird with it I was like oh my god but then I walked away from that stepped away I said this is a film yeah, yeah. I was like this is a film. I was like, but it, it got to me. It, it, yeah. They did what they set out to do. Yeah. Yeah. So are there any other cases or folklore that are related to your home state that you'd be interested in writing about that you haven't already sort of tackled? I wrote about the Cajun werewolf, uh, the Rougarou, and I wrote a short story and I had a friend just look over it for edits because Blood in the Woods had came out, but I wanted to have something else out there 
you know, that people could go read because they were finishing the, the novel and they were wanting more. So I just wrote a short story called Welcome Home, Rougarou. I put it up on Amazon. It reached number five for short reads uh, for quite some time on Amazon, and it came down. And um, I wanted it, I wanted to uh, really expand upon that tale of the story because mm. you can't really capture much in a thousand words. So I wrote a, a script, and we film it uh, actually – Next month. Well, yeah, this month in March. Oh, wow. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I got some great cast and crew, um, uh, two makeup artists that have been on some major motion pictures. Um, uh, Crystal Kershaw, she has been on Twilight, and Frank Darabont's The Mist for makeup. Uh, Dusty Wilson, he does costume makeup. He was on Looper uh, with Bruce Willis. So I got some great cast and crew, and we're going to, you know, we're going to make an indie film out of it. It's going to be killer. So I'm excited about that one. But that's the only other story I've written about Louisiana. So awesome! Okay. And you said that one's available on Amazon. Yeah, it's only yeah, it's only on Kindle, and I'm really honestly just debating taking it down because it's just something I threw out there real quick. But it's been out there for over like like over a year and a half or something like that. But um, I'm you know debating sort of just taking it down because we are doing the film based on mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and I, and the film is going to be phenomenal for indie. Cool. So cool. All right. Well, I mean, listeners, you might be able to find it on Amazon if you can beat JP to uh, taking it down. <laughs> it's quick enough to enjoy your morning, morning yeah. coffee with and it's done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how we create a marketing shortage for your advantage. Um, <laughs> so, um, so obviously you're working on all kinds of projects. Uh, what can we expect from you in the future? It sounds like you've got some films coming out. Yeah, I got some films. I'm going to be wrapping up on my first novella uh, titled Hot Summer Savior. So I'll be shopping around for publishers in the next uh, few months, hopefully before uh, May or June. Um, So hopefully it doesn't take seven years to get this one picked up. Hopefully not. Um, But of course, I got the uh, two independent films that are uh, one's in post-production and we filmed the other one in March and uh, those will be out either sometime later this year or possibly next. I don't like putting timelines on things. So. Awesome. Okay. I hate and telling, it's horrible. I, I can't tell people. I hate telling people it's going to be done at this time. But then you, there's so much stuff that goes into these films that, you know, things fall at the wayside. You got to do reshoots. So I don't want yeah. to tell. But it will be coming. Just keep an eye out for it. What was cool. the, I'm sorry. What was the name of the novella again? Uh, Hot Summer Savior. Hot Summer Hot Savior. Summer Savior. Is cool. that um is that like true crime related? Kind of like how Blood in the Woods um you know was what's so or crazy? is it? You know what's so crazy about this little novella of mine? I started I, I started writing it and some of the guys in the office was like, "Hey, man, what are you working on now?" And so I gave some of a quick little synopsis. They were like, "Oh shit, goddamn!" They're <laughs> like, "That's that's pretty wild." I was like, yeah, they were like, "But did you know that?" happen out here <laughs> and i was like i was like what are you talking about they're like not to the level that you're doing it but yeah yes you know some girl was out here and this 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 happened and i was like no shit i was huh. like so when it does come out if it ever does or when it does then there is i didn't know it but there is sort of a true crime element uh behind it for a a murder that took place here you know where i'm at near fort polk louisiana so pretty nuts i didn't even know it until i started you know i pitched the synopsis and somebody said hey that sort of happened in real life Hmm. that's interesting so um where can our listeners keep up with all of your happenings do you have like a website or yeah you can keep up with me uh at uh, you can always go to hellboundbookspublishing.com i'm on there i did have a website that a guy designed for me but i think he like 
like got abducted by aliens. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, to like keep my site up and running, so I'm gonna have to completely redo it. Such a pain in my ass. <laughs> so I'll get one of those. I'll get one of those up and running very soon. But you can find me on uh, Twitter, JP Willie. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, my author page, JP Willie, or you can send me a friend request as Joe Willie because Joe's my real name, and I'll, I'll accept it. Awesome. Uh, but I do keep my Instagram private. Um, but uh, since we're friends, you guys can you know shoot it. My <laughs> oh, okay, exclusive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So bringing it back to Blood in the Woods, um, if you could, in one sentence, or close to one sentence, um, tell us what do you love most about this story, and what is it that you want your readers to take away from your book? Uh, Friends, family, first loves, and true horror. Awesome. Awesome. Good job. Friends, family, first love, and true horror. I'm into that. <laughs> That's what I need um, plastered on my wall and in, uh, in place of like those uh, stupid like, live, laugh, live, laugh, love, laugh, love. <laughs> friends, decals, family, first love, and then underneath, true horror, and then in just like in blood, in blood. <laughs> uh, that's. I'm I'm gonna work on that. That's an aesthetic. <laughs> I think I think I need to get on Etsy, man, and start sketching it out. I'm yeah, saying, man, I would buy it. <laughs> I would buy it. Um. So, uh, what is um, what's your best advice for those who you know want to dive in the world of horror as a as a writer or a director or you know whatever? If you want to become a writer, write. Hmm. Uh, don't be scared to put your work out there in front of people because they're going to shit all over it and they're going to scrutinize it. But you must rise above like the phoenix. Uh, same thing with independent filmmakers. Write your script. Assemble a cast, assemble a crew, and go out there and make a fucking film. Don't make any excuses. Just get off your ass and go do it. That's all I can give them. That's solid. I love it. That's solid. I love yeah. it. I can only imagine, like, you know, putting your work out there. It's something that, and especially something that's so personal, um, and have it being subject to critique. Mm-hmm. Um, we know about that... critique. We have Twitter, so we know <laughs> yeah. we know a lot yeah, about critique, actually. We know a little bit about critique in reviews, um, and... <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite reviews, one of my favorite reviews on Amazon is a like two star or three star review of the novel. I I, I don't scroll it all the time, but as an indie author, I do, you know, check reviews because believe it or not, reviews from the novel help indie authors out tremendously. Mm. Uh, But there's like a two or three star review on there. It says scariest book I've ever read. Two star. I was like, (laughs) damn it. I was like, why is that a two star? It was like, this is so dark. I did not know what I was getting into, but the author's good. But uh, this is this is brutal. I was like, okay, well, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so, last question before we go, we yeah. have to ask you, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, Jesus! Mm. I haven't been asked this. Oh, God, touche balls in your court on this one. <laughs> favorite scary movie. In her best uh, ghost face voice. Which was pretty bad, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I knew where you were going with it. Yeah, you're good. I knew where you were going with it. Um, I'd have to say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. My Uh, motherfucking man. Yes. (laughs) I absolutely love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. You, know what that shit taught me? you know what that shit taught me when I was in fifth grade? Run fast. If you knock on someone's fucking door and the door creaks open, 
you don't walk in that motherfucker. No, and I've 100%. never done it. Still to this day. Um, and also, you know, knock on your door. If I come to y'all's house and knock on the door, and your door opens halfway, I'll run my ass back to my car and start like honking the horn or doing whatever. I don't go in the house. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, it, yeah, it taught me to, like Katie said, run fast. Uh, we don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> um, no, that was that's uh, one of my. That's actually one of my favorites. Um, and it's probably mine. It, it's mine in the original Halloween. Uh, it, I mean, it's got to be those two. A man after our own heart. That's exactly our own haunted heart. Um, <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is my uh, my grandmother. Uh, my whole my the maternal side of my family uh, introduced me into uh, into horror. So. My grandmother was actually the one. I think I might have been. I might have been like six, maybe seven, and you know, going to stay with her. And she was like, "Well, let's just pop in a movie, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> let's just pop in a movie, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow. You know, let's oh, pop in a movie, one. Evil Dead. Like." <laughs> And my mother was the same way. I mean, it's like, what do you want to watch tonight? Uh, let's watch. Uh, let's watch Carrie. Let's watch. You know. A whole gymnasium be massacred. Um, Sounds like a cool ass grandma. For sure. I mean, you can't teach taste. <laughs> that is true. It's just something you have. It was. Uh, it, it. Yeah. I learned at a very young age. <laughs> awesome. So, um, but you did mention. I wanted to before we. Um, I did want to say that you mentioned that. Um, you know, reviews are really really great. So where all can they go to review the book? Uh, you can review it on Amazon, which does great. You know, if you bought it from BarnesandNoble.com, you can review it there. iBooks, i iTunes Books, Kindle, uh, you name it. Wherever you picked it up, if uh, online, if you can, or even if you didn't, got it in a local bookstore or something. You know, just reviews help, and it's really crazy how, how they link these reviews in. Like, once you get like over fifty reviews, like they link in with more like promotions and you know, mm-hmm. posting you know like a link to your book and you know search feeds. You know, if you scroll on Amazon, you'd be like, also, other people bought this. So they'll start doing that. It filters in. So Amazon reviews, you know, online reviews are a great way to to really help authors out. So, yeah, you got to learn how to play with those algorithms. Mm-hmm. I still haven't quite gotten it yet. <laughs> awesome. Well, we highly, highly recommend JP's book, Blood in, Blood the, Woods. in the Woods. We both really enjoyed it. I read all kinds of horror all the time. Kenny is way more of a movie person than a book person. He also enjoyed it. I went through the whole thing cover to cover. Yeah, which is a testament in itself. So. I mean, like, I didn't, like, skip literally anything. Like, I think <laughs> I even went through, like, the other book recommendations at the um, at the end. And I was, like, reading that. I was reading the logo for, like, where you can download things at the app store. I was doing all that. Yeah, so there's something for everybody, really. Um, don't be intimidated by it. It is um, brutal. It is definitely adult <laughs> content. Um, but... You know, if you can handle our show, you can handle this book. And I think that you would really enjoy um, some of the themes that are talked about. Yeah, our listeners, I feel like, will really enjoy listening to yeah. this book. So, so Blood in or the Woods. reading this book. Listening to this <laughs> listening book. To We're going to read book. it to you now. Um, so, Blood in the Woods by J.P. Willie. You can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, and be sure that you review. Yes. Two five hot. stars. Five stars. <laughs> Scariest book. We tell them. Three, as long as it's great. You can do three. I don't care. As long as there's a review. <laughs> Listen, I it's, have you that. Can, you could put a review on there and post an e-penis. You can make an eight and two dashes and a D. I don't care. At least I get a review up. Amazing. <laughs> See, I feel the same way. Katie's very like, no, you rate us five stars. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, Katie, I don't give a shit. I don't care if they say one. I don't care if they put one star. Just as long, like I kind of like the the low rated reviews. It gives me something to like. Just gonna laugh say at. for the record, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us, JP. We really appreciate it. We love you know putting a spotlight on the folks who are working in indie horror, um, yes. whether it's authors or screenwriters or both, or all of the above, or everything. Um, but we really kind of like using the show as a platform to spotlight some of the work you guys are doing because you are the people who are pushing bound- boundaries in the industry. So thank you for everything that no, you're thank doing. Thank you very yeah. much. We couldn't, do, we couldn't do what we do if it wasn't for people like yourselves that you know give us the platform to get out there and showcase our works. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's probably one of the best fun interviews I've had with a podcast. So kudos to you guys. It's been great. That was the interview, ladies and gentlemen. We really hope you enjoyed it again. We had such an amazing time uh, speaking with JP um, and are so excited for everything that he's going to be coming out with and all of his new um, material and things that he's doing. So Yeah, we'll keep you posted. Yes. Uh, one exciting thing that we're going to do um, as part of our episode release this week, we're going to do a giveaway. Yes. Of- yeah. We love a giveaway. Yeah, we love free shit, girl. (laughs) So we're going to do a giveaway on our social media. So that's why it's really important that you connect with us on there. We're on Twitter at The Haunted Heart. We're on Instagram at The Haunted Heart Podcast. And we're on Facebook. You can search The Haunted Heart and find our page. Go ahead and like it and click see first so that you can see all our fire-ass memes. Uh, And then join our Facebook group, The Haunted Heart Podcast. It's a closed group so that nobody sees what you're doing. It's just about you and, and Except us you and, and the Lord. You, the Lord, us, and all these other crazy-ass motherfuckers in this group. So you got to get in. Um, we're going to post the details on our social media. We'll be doing the giveaway on Instagram. And all of the rules and such will be on our post. Did you tell them what we're giving away, though? A copy of the book. <laughs> I don't think I did. No, you didn't. Uh, we're just giving you some shit. Like, I'm going to mail you some of my hair. Uh, and, and I'm not going to tell you where it's from. Um, so <laughs> we're giving away a copy of his book, uh, Blood in the Woods, so that you can enjoy it. Um, if you are not lucky enough to win the giveaway, then you can still buy it on Amazon. Yes. Um, and support it, indie horror. Yes, support indie horror. We need to have horror for years to come. And the only way that happens is if the little guys get to keep creating. Yes. So, like us. Yes. So <laughs> you can check out our Patreon. How's that for a segue, bitch? You should subscribe to Patreon just for that. I love like, it. That damn. was good. That, that was, was great. Very good. You can support us by checking out our Patreon at the Haunted Heart Podcast. We are creating content on this day and every other day. <laughs> we uh, can bring you all sorts of cool shit. You can select the tier that you want. That right. has all of the different cool shits on it. Mm-hmm. Figure out which level of cool shit you want to be. They're all pretty cool, but they're different levels. There's levels to this love, baby. Like an onion. Uh-huh. Like an onion. <laughs> like a like a cake. And you can find that cake at www.patreon.com slash the haunted heart. Um, and you can read all the details and sign up there. Mm-hmm. So I think that does it for this week. Yeah. Stay tuned to our Instagram for the giveaway so that you can win that book, honey, and get your reading on. We want to get you that knowledge mm-hmm. in your head. Mm-hmm. And until next time, you've got to stay spooky. 
and stay away from poodles, please, God.